The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Wanda Wallace. Today, we have a fabulous session focused on coaching. You know, I find that when I am working with people dealing with a transition, particularly from this expert to more generalist transition, we often want to give them a coach. But how do you know if coaching is for you? How do you select the right kind of coach? How can a coach really help? And that's our focus for today. We're going to start with talking about some examples from two of my favorite coaches, Stephen Marshall and Keith Michelson. I'll introduce them in just a minute. And then as we go into the further segments in the course of the coach, we're going to have them give you some practical advice on how do you do some of these things and also talk about how to select a coach. But first, let me introduce Stephen Marshall is one of my guests. Stephen, you've been coaching for a really long time. You've had a lot of experience in the corporate world, including at Siemens. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Wanda. Okay. All right, and Keith Michelson, you've also had lots of years um, consulting and coaching, both on the strategy side as well as on the more leadership side. Um, so welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. So let's talk about this whole, let's start with this whole notion of coaching. And I want to begin this by having each of you talk about one of your best examples and what I'm interested in knowing is, you know, what was the presenting problem? How did you work with the individual? What did you do to really help? What was the outcome? And Steve, let me start with you. Kind of give us your best example of someone you coached and how it worked. I can give you an in-progress uh, coaching assignment that I've, I have been working on for the last uh, couple of years. And it's a, a CEO succession uh, coaching assignment. I'm actually working with... Uh, uh, an executive who is now uh, the COO uh, had been um, leading a, a specialist role for the organization, was seen to have potential. And uh, there are a number of issues uh, that uh, came up uh, during the assignment. The reason for my joining in uh, was that the CEO appreciated my help uh, with him and thought that I could be helpful in, uh, with the new COO in helping to define the role and most importantly, to establish a strong alignment and working relationship between the two. Uh, over the past two years, I've been working with them uh, face-to-face, over the phone, uh, and uh, the purpose of the working uh, mostly has been to help him promote himself. And I, I mean that uh, intellectually as, as much as uh, just moving into the position, into the COO role, how to present himself uh, in a, a bit of a step above 
and as um, a, a supporter of the rest of the executive team, uh, how to align himself with the CEO on key issues, uh, strategic imperatives, while at the same time being able to speak his mind. There's a, there's a wonderful uh, complementarity between the CEO and COO. Uh, CEO is uh, very gregarious, outgoing, and, and outfacing mostly in the, um, uh, with regard to the organization and customers. The COO has much more of an internal focus, um, a very metric-oriented, uh, and together they have uh, uh, done a very effective job of driving not only organizational change but transformation uh, to a new model that uh, establishes uh, even more innovation along with a very strong core business. I mean, so it's interesting, Steve, you say that one of the issues was his ability to promote himself. And I'm assuming that we've got somebody who's a specialist that's a bit more introverted, a little less uh, showcasing what he can do. And so that ability to present yourself to the organization in a way that you look like the credible leader. So how did you help him with that? Absolutely. Um, uh, as we um, worked together, it was it was clear in meetings uh, he was very receptive to what was going on and responding uh, very openly in a nonverbal manner. But he really was the only one who knew uh, what he meant by those. Uh, we we uh, spent some time uh, discussing how he could uh, develop his uh, own influencing network uh, more through one on ones, um, a more issue focused, and then to assist him. Uh, with uh, some of the presentations he made, uh, addressing and identifying key issues that the CEO wanted to drive that he was given responsibility for, and also, uh, which is how most people learn through assignments, uh, taking on specific customer assignments so that he could represent the company um, on um, specific TV shows, and also how to have uh, a role in diversity in the company. It, it was uh, one that gave him an opportunity to take a lead role, a facing role, with the rest of the organization uh, and, and to really speak about what was important to him at a value level. So it, what you've done then, or what the company has done, is to give him opportunities to show his leadership in a different way, to stand out, to be recognized, and in effect to get the company to have confidence in him. Um, and as a coach, I'm presuming that you're sitting on the sidelines, walking him through each some of the presentations, doing the feedback afterwards, helping him refine skills, helping him find his own voice and his own style. Uh, very much so, particularly with uh, the, the senior leadership uh, offsites, uh, okay. uh, and as well. Um, the head of HR pl- has played and continues to play an integral role. Uh, this is uh, this is very much an, an entourage um, uh, consulting team uh, working on these issues together. The, the head of HR actually holds what what uh, he coined as cadence meetings on a regular basis between the CEO and the COO, so they can discuss issues, put what one might call undiscussables on the table, and uh, to work those through. And that has worked fabulously as well. Right. So again, we have that notion of you work in partner, not just with yeah. the individual coaching, but the immediate boss as well as some other stakeholders along the way. You know, and often we think about coaching that it's a remedial process, but this is a case where it's not remedial. It is absolutely preparation for the next step. All right, Keith, let me turn to you. Give us an example about one of your more interesting coaching assignments. What was the presenting issue? How did you help? What happened? Yeah, sure. Um so I was coaching the, the uh, manager of a uh, 
a power plant. And, and you know, th- that's a situation where if things go wrong, there's very public consequences. You know, the station goes offline. There, there can be an, uh, an environmental event or an injury. And so uh, there's always that tendency in that role to, um, to tr- really try to control everything, to, uh, to always have to know what's going on. And, uh, and that, was, that was his mindset. That's where he was kind of stuck. He'd come in and he was just deep into the operations uh, every day. And it was really causing problems. He, um, and that, so in a sense, that's the presenting problem. You know, he was trying to make all the decisions. He was in the habit of finding fault everywhere he looked rather than being able to, to really collaborate and, and, and help people learn from their experience. And as a result, it was, it was um, almost paradoxical that you know, the more he tried to control, the more people became fearful of being criticized and, and, in fact, would hide problems from him and hope that they could fix them before he found out that things had gone, gone wrong. So, you know, despite his controlling behavior, he uh, ended up really in a situation where the station was out of control. So that was kind of the presenting situation. Um, when, um, uh, you know, when I first met him, uh, what was good about the situation was that he was able to be uh, self-reflective. He, he, um, he, he looked at me at one point and said, why do I always become the chief of police? Because he really recognized that place where he was stuck, and, and that, that insight was the starting point for, uh, for us to define some specific goals about becoming more collaborative, more trusting of his people. Um, and so, so that's what we did. And we, 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 together we, we looked at um, really how his concern about being blamed, you know, about, about being responsible was leading him to seek so much uh, control. And he was able to start to talk openly with people about changing his patterns, working more collaboratively with them. And together we developed a management process where um, he could hold people accountable but also, you know, allow them to take more responsibility. Uh, it, was, it was really a great process to see him go through and because as a result uh, he, he became less isolated. He started to problem solve with, with his team rather than creating a situation where they were hiding problems from him. And also he became less anxious about uh, the day-to-day operations, and so he could start to look more, more, you know, further out. How do I improve the, the performance of the station? And so they created a new vision. They started to tackle some long-term conflicts but it was, uh, uh, that were getting in the way of, of, of uh, the station's performance. But it was really that, that ability now that was evolving to, to get out of having to be in control of everything um, and his willingness to question his patterns that, that put him in that new position. You know, Keith, I can't tell you how many times I see a similar problem. I had one this week, in fact, where someone who's an expert leader, really, really good at getting it done, um, not the lead of the organization, but in the organization, trying to do the best for the company, really caring about delivering for the manager in this particular case, and that intensity of care drives the individual to push harder and harder and harder and harder, especially when things aren't going well. And I'm presuming it's a tad bit like this with your particular manager of this power plant. So, okay, he's aware that he's being the chief of police and that that isn't the role he wants to be in, but how did you get him to change? So you got awareness, but what was the secret for him letting go of the need to micromanage the details? Well, I I think he... um 
I think he really was aware of of feeling isolated, of feeling uh, that separation between him and his leadership team. Everything was, you know, everything was so full of tension. The the climate and and this was a an environment even larger than the the, the particular power plant where there was a kind of a. Uh, and you see this, I think, very often in, in the older traditional um, utilities where there is kind of a, an environment that's driven by fear, driven by worry about making um, mistakes. And so, you know, he was living in this, in this uh, tense environment and, and there was a spotlight even on the, on the station around, you know, the, was the performance going to improve? And so, so I think just allowing him to start talking about that and, and starting to, to recognize that, that he really more than anyone else was the one who was creating those conditions or sustaining those conditions that he, he probably had inherited. Um, it wasn't, he couldn't point the finger at someone else. He couldn't say it's my team that's, you know, that's doing this. And as he started to recognize his own role in it, he could start to say, okay, how do I, how, how do I um, start to, to interact within this system a bit differently so I have actually more control through collaboration, through developing my people. So, so I, think, I think it was just allowing him to, to, to say out loud and to, you know, what he already knew and to, and, to, and to get to a place where he's saying, this is going to change, it's gonna have to, it has to come from me. So, and we see that a lot of time in coaching in that individuals um, sort of are aware, but the ability to draw it out in front and to talk in a safe place about it as we reflect back on them and to begin to pull apart why you're doing what you're doing often is the key that opens up um, a willingness to explore another way of doing it. And once people are open, then there's a lot of good things that happen. I can't tell you, the two issues that both of you have identified, I can't tell you how common we see them for expert leaders. So if I just summarize real briefly, you know, Steve, you've talked about a case where we have a bit more of an introvert um, who's been Mm -hmm. a bit in the shadow, the executor, and who now to take the next step has got to really step outside of him or herself, be visible to the organization um, while still in alignment with everyone that's around and find his or her own voice. And Keith, you talk about this need to have um, control, the care about control, because of really good reasons. If things go wrong at a power plant, it's a big issue. And that learning to change the way in which you manage in order to ensure we still have good quality, but we have an environment where people are likely to tell what's really going on behind the scenes rather than to withhold it. Yep, that's it. Yeah. If, if, I, if I may just offer uh, one additional one that I heard in your story, Keith, that I really appreciate, it's the importance of um, interest on the coach's part in self-awareness itself. Right. That's absolutely. Uh, I mean, that, that his comment to me, when he made that comment, I, I really you know, said to myself, we're going to be able to make some progress here because he's, he's looking at himself. He's looking at, at the kind of the trap he's fallen into. Yeah, I think every coach would say that the self-awareness, once we get you aware of that what you're doing isn't working, then the ability to move you to do something different becomes much easier. Okay, we're going to take a break. Um, When we return, I want to get very tactical. I want to focus on, as if we were coaching people, on how to do two very specific additional things. 
And one of those is competing priorities. How do you begin to set priorities and get a control over all this stuff that's now on your desk as you stepped up in a leadership way? And second, Keith, I want to talk about this lovely concept of emotional intelligence and how do you begin to develop greater emotional intelligence. So we'll be right back in a moment with those two topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. This is Wanda Wallace. With me today is Steve Marshall and Keith Michelson, two longstanding, fabulous coaches that I have worked with for a lot of years. And we've been talking about the kind of cases where a coach can be really, really useful, highlighting this notion of transitioning from one level to the next level, as well as learning to manage control. Now, in this particular segment, I want to get very tactical about two key skills that make a huge difference that we often see appearing in coaching. And I want you to get a sense of both how Stephen and Keith would work with you as a coach or another coach would work with you on these two topics. And those topics are... How do you begin to set priorities when they look like there's 3,000 things and all of them are urgent? And the second one is this lovely concept of emotional intelligence. How do you understand the way in which emotions are playing out and impacting your ability to be effective as a leader? So, Steve, let me start with you first. Mm-hmm. Determining sure. priorities. How do you get somebody to understand which of 7,000 things is most important? 
I actually start uh, with uh, a conversation about um, uh, not everything getting done, uh, a conversation about um, dealing with the very issue of having more priorities than can be dealt with in one day, how to deal, uh, uh, and particularly then, how to ensure, and again, back to the topic that you've raised with uh, Keith and me, how to move out of that specialist mindset, which is very much more about uh, I have to get all of these things done right now, to more of out of the comfort zone, an executive mindset of how do I get all of these things done? Who is the best person to get them done? Uh, one, of, one of the things that I've found about uh, professionals who've moved from an individual to, a, to more of a leadership role is guilt about turning things over to others. That somehow if they delegate uh, a task or ask someone else to do it, uh, it, it, it shows, one, a lack of ability on their part, and secondly, they've uh, thrown more work onto the shoulders of someone else who's al- already busy. That's one of the initial things that we work through, how to see some of these priorities that can be done by others as developmental opportunities for them, not merely as additional tasks that have to be done. Next, when, when I work with them, we, we talk about the basics I'm with one executive, a European executive that I work with who's now, now in the U.S. at a, at a corporation. Uh, he, he had an entire uh, laundry list of issues that he wanted to deal with in coaching from uh, the fact that his uh, email box was completely full with 500 emails he hadn't looked at uh, uh, to the fact that he was having issues at home uh, with, with his family because he wasn't getting home soon enough t- uh, to be at dinner or feel part of the family, wasn't getting to the, um, the soccer matches for his boys, was not giving his, his wife had some medical issues uh, enough attention. Uh, I looked at these as uh, certainly important issues for him and also motivators. Uh, we started with what is your sense of purpose, both at work, how do you provide value, and, and at home as well. And we really worked uh, a, a combined approach of um, uh, not limiting his work hours but blocking out, uh, honoring the fact that he needed time both at home and at work to help, um, so to speak, recharge his battery because he was becoming drained by uh, every day leaving work, not feeling that he'd accomplished anything or um, had met his, his family obligations, which really were ways for him to, to feel better about himself. Uh, and to be specific, uh, he took uh, a, a one-half day and just went through his email box. Uh, he happens to have an administrative assistant uh, we talked about how he could use her uh, uh, help more effectively. Uh, we also talked about how to find, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm uh, used the term before, but how to find a COO type person who really enjoys the tactical side of the business, project management, scheduling meetings, and to use that person who works for him as a developmental next step assignment for his role in carrying those out so that he could do what he did best. And that was very much working with the customer. Uh, he, he, had been, he was very successful despite these issues he wanted to work on, and it was clear that the more time he spent with the customer, the, more, the better his business went and the more projects they won. Okay. Fabulous. It's interesting, Steve. Um, I can't tell I mean, it, it, the story is echoing so many things that I've heard from so many people. One of the issues I often find for experts is you know your value when you know the expertise. 
I know the knowledge, I know how to do it, I know how to get it done, and I know my value to the organization. And the struggle becomes when I'm no longer that expert leader, what is my value add? And helping people define that value becomes a really key issue. So fascinating that you say that. The second thing is that we often say as women that women are the only one who feel guilt about the work-life balance. So I love the fact that this is a male who has some guilt about the work-life balance and also has to work through it as well. We just don't hear those stories very often. All right. And I, and I think it's just a, a, a comment that I, I think it's, it's sometimes people tend to think of priori- priorities in a mechanistic way. How do I prioritize? And it's a very different way of you know, you're actually starting from values and, and yeah. moving out from there to be able to, for the person to start to, to, to recognize I'm never going to get any, everything done, but how do I start from my values in order to prioritize? I think it's a great way of thinking about it. Your your point's so well said about values because that really is a fundamental motivator um, Mm -hmm. uh, that that, that for this person really led to some breakthroughs for him. Right. Fabulous. All right, Keith, let's just turn for a moment and we can come back to the topic about priority setting. But Keith, talk to us a little bit about the role of emotions and how do you guide people, what advice do you have for people to become more skilled at dealing with the emotions in the workplace? Yeah, and I, I found it's really helpful to to um, give people that that framework of emotional intelligence uh, as a way to, to to reflect on on how they can better manage uh, what happens emotionally to them in the in the workplace. Is the kind of the classic view of emotional intelligence is that there's you can think of it in four parts. There's this self awareness. Am I aware of my own? Emotions, self-management, you know, what do I do with those emotions? Social awareness, do I know what's going on with other people and relationship management, um, you know, how I build those relationships effectively. And, and um, really, I think the starting point is self-awareness. And I find that managers you know, are so often, I mean, not, I think all of us, but we're talking about managers, we're, we're, we're all so often not aware of what triggers um, our emotions uh, at work and also not aware of the effects that those emotions have uh, on the people around them. You know, when, when, when you're not as a, as a manager controlling, containing your own anxiety and you're putting them out into the, uh, you're putting those emotions uh, out into the workplace. Uh, recently, very recently, uh, I, was, I just was really struck by this comment made to me by the, the uh, owner and manager of a, of a mill shop, you know, where people are using dangerous tools all day, you know, saws and, you know, you, it, it can get pretty scary if you're not uh, careful. And what he said to me was, the one thing I can't do is put my anxiety, you know, about a late order or an unhappy customer or something, something's done, something someone has done wrong. I can't put that out to my people because if I do that, then they get distracted and their chances of getting hurt go up. And it just struck me, you know, in an office, there isn't the physical danger. And here was this very visceral um, you know, kind of picture of what happens if he gets anxious and puts his anxiety out. People can get hurt. You know, in the office, there's, you know, may not be the physical danger, but there's certainly the, the effect of fear, build, creating fear or demoralization or people withdrawing. And, um, and so I, I focus on helping managers become aware of, of their emotional responses. Um, uh, and, 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 and then, Helping them to practice pausing, you know, rather than react. Can I, can I notice that I'm having an emotion? Can I stop? Can I pause? Recognize what that emotion is, and then think about what's triggered it, without having to react. 
you know, when, I, when, when someone can do that, then there's a better chance I can start to choose an appropriate response, you know, and they're no longer at the mercy of, of the situation, which I think really what the essence of emotion intelli- emotional intelligence is, is being able to, 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 be, to not be just reacting, not be at the mercy of the situation, but to, to, to say I have a choice in how I'm going to respond. So you're really focused then on both the self-awareness, but it's not so much awareness of the emotion as it is awareness of the trigger. What is it that raises right. that level of emotion for you? And then the ability to regulate that yourself so that you catch yourself before you respond and then have a that's chance true. to think what is the appropriate response that's going to get the best reaction from people. Is that a fair summary, Keith? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a, a great summary. It's, it's that starting point of... of uh, I've been triggered, okay, now what is the emotion I'm having here based on that trigger, but very much, as you say, starting from that. Then there's that pause in between uh, re- recognition and, and react and, that, and, and acting in, you know, in a way either that's going to, uh, instead of being a reaction, it's going to be something that's more measured and, and is going to put you more in control. Right. So, you know, in my, I see a lot of people with anxiety and the anxiety is around a mistake. Something's going to go wrong and there's going to be a problem. And it always comes from a great place, the best of intent. And yet they can't quite get a deeper understanding of what triggers that level of anxiety. So, Keith, do you see one or two key kinds of triggers? Uh, well, I think that one you, you mentioned uh, um, there is, is is an important one, which is you know uh, I'm, I'm going to be blamed. I'm, I'm going to someone's going to you know point the finger at me. It's going to be my fault. I think another one is is um, and I see this you know at the, at the senior levels. I'm thinking right now of a particular CEO um, I worked with, where um, he he just took, you know, all of the burden and responsibility of moving this business forward on him. And it, he, it became so personal that, you know, if, if people weren't meeting the numbers or if they weren't delivering what, you know, they were supposed to deliver, he would, he would just react. He'd say, I'm not getting what I need. And, of course, this point was it wasn't what he needed. It was what the business needed. And, he, and, and you know, by, by in his role, uh, projecting all that anxiety out into the into the organization, it's worth repeating. I think, I think very often senior managers really don't recognize how powerful um, the effect is of of that uncontained anxiety. And and the dilemma is not only do they need to contain their anxiety, I think a senior manager has to contain the anxiety of the people around him or her in order for the business to move forward, uh, you know, if there's stressful times. And, you know, without that emotional intelligence, I, I think you really can't play that, that executive role. May I present well, a counterpoint, one. Keith, for your consideration? Sure. And, and, and that is this. Um, uh, anxiety certainly is, a, is an important issue. To a degree, I'd submit that uh, anxiety is um, uh, helpful, motivating, and driving for an organization. As a matter of fact, uh, a term called constructive tension is, is often used as, as a way to um, uh, move from a plateau uh, to a transformational um, uh, approach uh, to the business. Also, that there's certain, I think you mentioned earlier um, that there are certain roles and companies where a preventive pessimistic approach is Im- embedded, baked mm. in, so mm-hmm. to speak, to it. Uh, nuclear right. power plants, accounting, 
Uh, I'd, I'd add law to it for that matter. The, the uh, purpose is to actually prevent mistakes. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering if you have, have any experiences there where you found it very helpful to perhaps people are in overuse to move, move out of that mode. Well, and I hear what you're saying. I think I think that's right. That as long as you know what that sort of hyper awareness is mm-hmm. is, is, is um, doesn't kind of fold over into real personalized anxiety. Because I think you know when you it's it's my like my example in the um, um, in, in the mill shop. If if the if the result of of getting to that place is distraction. Then you know that's that's negative anxiety. If the result in the right situation is more of that hyper awareness, the opposite, then then you're using I think that that focus in a different way. Uh, at the okay, same time, perhaps a, con- a constructive so, alternative um, or not alternative, but example would be both in nuclear and I would suspect mm-hmm. in the mill shop there are regular safety meetings to raise awareness right. of the importance. Right. All right, Steve and Keith, we're going to take a break here at a minute. Um, I want to just underscore what you've been saying, Steve, that there is a construct, that for all of these issues, like anxiety, a constructive tension, there's a balance. We don't want too much of one or too little of the other. And it's the ability to regulate that the way you want to relegate it, so regulate it so that it's under control. And it's a productive use for the organization rather than to let it get out of control for you. So if I sort of summarize some key takeaways for me from this segment, um, Steve, I'm going to turn back to your notion about priority setting, and three things stick out for me. Now, number one is recognize that some things are not going to get done, period, yeah. and to be clear about what it is that's not going to get done. The two is to recognize where you really add value to the organization, being absolutely crystal clear so that you're putting your primary focus on that, and then you use what's left to use as developmental opportunities for others to step up. It's a very interesting kind of one, two, three to think about priorities. And then, Keith, for you, I think the big thing I take away on emotional intelligence is this notion of both the self-awareness, not at the surface level, but at the deeper level. What's the real Mm -hmm, trigger mm -hmm. for how I'm feeling? And then the self-regulation so that I'm using the emotion to the appropriate place and I'm keeping it in balance, neither too much nor too little. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about how each of you approach coaching and how do we go about selecting a coach? How do you know if you've got a good coach for you? So we'll be right back in a moment. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. 
tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Hello, this is Wanda Wallace, and welcome back to the show. With me today is Stephen Marshall and Keith Michelson, two fabulous coaches with lots of years of experience in helping executives take the next step. Now, we've been talking about some skills, particularly around developing your own emotional intelligence and understanding how to set priorities. And in this particular segment, I want to focus on how do you begin to use a coach so, Steve, let me turn to you first. Real quickly, what's your typical model like or your framework for doing coaching? A, a three-phase approach. I, I call it AAA or awareness, acceptance, and action. Three phases of the coaching assignment. Okay, and so what do you mean by awareness, acceptance, and action? Generally, when I'm on a, a coaching assignment, um, uh, the, the person uh, that I'm about to coach, once we have an agreement, uh, has been given some feedback. And generally in that phase, they understand that another person or others in the organization either have a problem for them or have a step-up opportunity for them. Um, this is the phase where they recognize that others believe there's a need. Uh, oftentimes they're not sold on it themselves, so that's why I call it awareness. Uh, the acceptance phase is the process of integrating it, understanding it, uh, checking it out, confirming it with others, uh, and believing that it is valuable to them. And then finally, the action phase, where they take action on it and demonstrate uh, the, the, the change in skill set or, and or mindset uh, to, to others and integrate it into their leadership style. Okay, so and how long does it take typically for somebody to get from awareness to action? Is that a six-month process, a two-month process, a one-week process? What's typical? Uh, I find uh, that, that three to six months is minimum, depending on the competence uh, that they're working on. If it's something like informing, obviously a person can do that immediately. If it's, if it's something um, uh, more complex, like dealing with uh, uh, ambiguity, uncertainty, um, uh, being able to become more strategic in their approach, perspective, those are longer terms. Uh, those can be a year plus. 
Okay. So three to six, and presumably in that period of time, you're doing some awareness, acceptance, try a thing, reiterate on the awareness, acceptance, try something. Is that how it typically works? Absolutely, Wanda. In the awareness stage, generally, uh, I conduct uh, assessments, uh, a combination of um, uh, leadership personality inventories to be able to compare a person to people who are successful in similar industries and levels, along with 360 feedback, 360 meaning feedback from others in the organization, particularly key stakeholders uh, uh, whose support is essential uh, for, for the coachee to be effective. And, okay. and as you said uh, throughout, uh, we're taking some steps, trying some things, asking for feedback of others, and practicing the skill uh, as well to see how it fits, basically. And, and I look forward to some discomfort at first when we're trying something new because that's what trying something new is often about. And I, I work to ensure the person, give them encouragement that uh, uh, that experience is, is at the right stage and they're moving forward. Okay, great. All right, Keith, how about for you? What does your coaching model look like? How do you approach this? I'm going to take your, your question of model um, just to, as a way to maybe provide a, a, another kind of input and, and take it down to a narrow place and talk about the coaching conversation um, because I think that's, that's really critical to, to building the, the relationship in coaching. And, and I think it's always a challenge. You, you've talked about um, uh, you know, trying to find that, that role of, of, of not being the problem solver for a manager. It's also um, true with a coach, I think, that, that people can, can, you have to really develop the skill of really listening and, and not trying to, to, uh, to give advice, to give answers when, when, um, when you're coaching. And so I, I think uh, there's, a, there's a classic uh, coaching model uh, which I think many people uh, have heard about, which is that the, the GROW model, which stands for goals, reality, opportunity, and um, will, or what's next, you know, the action plan. So, so the idea of working with someone to define, you know, what, what are your goals? And, and in coaching, I always think of goals as what is the, what is the, the, the person's uh, developmental challenge? You know, what is the, where do they need to make progress? So you're, you're working in, in dialogue to, to define that. And then the, the reality is, you know, where are, we, where are we now? Where are you now in, in relationship that, to that goal? So as you have that dialogue, you're starting to see that gap of what is the person, where does the person want to be and where are they now? Uh, very often, um, just, just taking someone that far, can, uh, I find, can, can start to, to get them thinking about where there's some opportunities uh, uh, to make some progress. What's gr- I, what I find good about this, using this model, is um, is that it's 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 very simple. Um, you know, it's a it's a clear roadmap. Uh, it's one that, in fact, is very teachable, uh, which can help managers be coaching coaches to their people, and it also really keeps you out of that problem solving mode because you're not getting into advice, you're not getting into talking about you know what's next, what should you do really before you've helped someone really work through an understanding of, you know, what, what's the challenge for me here? Why is it that I'm having trouble with whatever the, you know, kind of the presenting issue is? Okay. And Keith, I know you have a lot of training in background and uh, broader counseling. Do you ever find, I mean, Steve talked earlier about when home life is out of whack, it affects work. Do you ever right. find that you're talking with people about that balance in their lives? 
Uh, absolutely, and, and I mean, it, I worked with a um, uh, one memorable situation for me was I, I was working with a COO, actually of a nonprofit, and he was working you know eighty hours a week probably. I mean, it was just beyond you know what anyone should be doing and, and he was he knew he had to get a, a control of his his schedule but he kept saying you know my work's so important i can't let anything drop and and as we started to explore you know his goal his goal was to gain gain control of his uh you know his his his, his week um you know of his schedule but really what as as we started to get into really what would the, the developmental challenge was and it wasn't really you know, there was a lot underneath that, and, and, and most importantly, what was underneath it was he just was avoiding conflict. He was so conflict-averse that literally uh, it felt like almost a life-or-death kind of situation to say no, to say no to the CEO, to, to push back on his peers, or to, or, or to, to make some you know, tougher demands on, on his uh, direct reports. And so he had trapped himself in... In, uh, in, in a place that was really not allowing him to have any personal balance. And, and really, I, I, in that case, I would, you know, there's always, I think, some, or not always, but sometimes that thin line between coaching and therapy. And in this case, you know, we, we went a certain distance with the coaching, but I think he needed, in fact, something even more than that because he was so stuck in the place where, you know, where, where he was undermining his, not just his work life but his family life. Keith, what, right. I, what so I particularly Keith, liked about what you just said was that you took him to the point of honoring the conflict and the potential value of the conflict itself and not trying to avoid it. That, that, that right. must have been a, a marvelous turn uh, for, for that yeah. coachee. Yeah, absolutely. That's, good. That's a good way to put it. All right, Steve and Keith, um, we're going to take a break again. And what I find fascinating about the conversation is even though each of you use slightly different models to describe your coaching process, each of you are making a strong point about spending the time on the awareness. Really, really focus in on what is it that's going on? What is it that you want to accomplish? Why are we having the problem that we're having? What's the reality about where you are? And Keith, what I love about your story is why the presenting problem starts with gaining control of the week. What's really underneath that that's preventing progress becomes the real goal, which is right, about the right. conflicts. And that's the part, the reason that the awareness time is so critical. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break here. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about how do you select a coach. I often hear from people that say, I think I need a coach, but how do I know to go about? What do I choose? How do I know if I have a good one? So that's going to be our focus when we come back, and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. This is Wanda Wallace. Welcome back. With me today is Stephen Marshall and Keith Michelson, two very experienced coaches who've been working with executives for many, many, many years. Um, We've been talking about what the coaching process looks like, um, some skills that you can get around coaching, particularly priority setting, emotional intelligence, among others. And in the last segment, the thing that strikes me the most is the need to spend the time on the awareness. And I know it seems like it's being slow, but as we just discovered in that last story, if you spend the time on the awareness, it often gets you to this right action, the faster action at the end of the day. Now, what I want to focus on this time is the process of selecting a coach. So, Keith, let me start with you first. And how do people how how do you advise people to know if coaching is for them or not? Yeah, um, I, I think there are just normal transitions to new stages that you know all managers go through. Um, you know, you, you've, you perhaps you're taking on a new, more challenging role, or you're moving, you know, or maybe earlier in your career from being an independent contributor to being a manager. And if you have the internal resources, if you have the outside support you know, a mentor to make that, that transition, you, you probably don't need coaching. But if you really are struggling, then, then you should seek help uh, because it really, it really can be useful. You know, that, there are, if there are situations where things just aren't working, you're getting into conflicts with your colleagues, you're not able to handle the demands of the job, you know, or you know you can do better, but you feel stuck, then, then reaching out to a coach uh, to really help you get moving again, I think, um, can be helpful or, or, or to help you recognize maybe some lifelong patterns that you're experiencing, experiencing in work and you're not going to get out of unless you get some help. And do you find that some people are just are easier to coach than others? Well, we've talked about um, uh, that idea of being willing to be self-reflective. Um, so I think that really helps uh, as a person can... Can, can, can really use that, that coaching time to really be focused on, uh, on themselves, which is what it should be about. I think, though, also, uh, I think coaches shouldn't um, kind of blame the, blame the customer. You know, I think, I think most people, even if they, they maybe can't go where, where as a coach you'd want them to go, there's, always, there's, there's readiness for something. And I think part of the challenge for the coach is to, is to really understand, what, you know, where is that person starting from and how can I help to move them to the next step? So, you know, certainly there are some people who are simply shut down. They're not going to have the kind of conversation that's going to be productive. But I think those are few and far between. 
Okay, so Steve, let me turn to you for a moment and say, what's your advice to people who think that they would like to have a coach? How do you tell people to go about selecting a coach? Uh, uh, thank you. And, and uh, if I may just add, uh, uh, Keith, your, your wonderful uh, uh, presentation on, on this issue. Uh, what I would add to it is I don't think coaching is just for people who are stuck. Uh, most mm-hmm. of the uh, managers and executives I work with are um, not so stuck as they are high potentials, ready to mm-hmm. move on to a next-level position. In general, about half of high potentials fail because of derailers that, that were, were quiet derailers until they move on to the next assignment that requires new and different skills. Those are most right. assignments I work on, so I'd, it would advise our our listeners to consider that as a, of a very worthwhile use of a coach as well. Here's what I would mm-hmm. suggest that, that they look for. One is clearly credentials. Uh, there's zero barrier of entry into the field that uh, you and I practice, Keith. Uh, uh, and uh, those credentials can be um, uh, anywhere from uh, international coach uh, federation t- um, to uh, credentials that are uh, leadership focused. I happen to be a licensed business psychologist. Uh, over and above that, the next is what is the purpose of my coaching assignment? Has the coach had experiences with people at my level? Uh, have they worked on issues like this? And I think the third is just plain comfort level. And actually, right. I, would, I would shift that a bit um, uh, to comfort and discomfort. Am I comfortable with this potential coach? And, and am I willing, do I see this person willing to make me, to help me become uncomfortable with my current state, to tell me things I don't want to hear but do it in a sufficiently constructive fashion that I can hear it and work on it and give me the encouragement to try new things? Absolutely. So I like that, um, Steve, this notion that you, you want a coach who has worked at your level as well as has worked on your kind of issues and that you both are at ease with and that also pushes you in ways that are less comfortable. Yeah, and all the research in, in, in coaching and, and therapy as well, it, it says that the most important factor in success is, that, is the quality of that relationship. And I think that's what you're speaking to, Steve, when you talk Absolutely. about someone who can be both accepting of you but also challenging of you and is going to push you forward. Fabulous. All right. Um, let's see, any last advice, Keith, for people who are looking for a coach? What I would suggest is, um, uh, does the coach have an actual contract? I actually have a written contract to distinguish between coaching and therapy uh, okay. to make sure mm-hmm. the person knows exactly. Secondly, uh, what's, the nature of the re- and, and, uh, what's the nature of the relationship that I'll have with this person? How much of my conversations will be confidential and how much need to be shared with the organization? Okay. And Steve, I, and I, Keith, I think, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, the well, fabulous thank you. conversation thank you. for today. Um, As I reflect on this one, there's sort of two key themes that strike me. One is this willingness, the need to spend time and self-awareness, both on the emotions, the triggers for my emotions, as well as to dig the deeper level to understand what's really underlying it, as opposed to the presenting problem immediately. And then the second thing I really take away is this notion of setting your priorities by beginning with your value add to the organization as well as what you're not going to do. Next week, we have a fabulous leader who's going to join us who's been a a research scientist and has transitioned to be a senior leader. We're going to talk about his experiences in the transition and the lessons that he's learned along the way. We hope you'll join us then. Steve and Keith, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. (music) 
thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.